0: This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. This is Dave Iverson. A dozen years ago, stem cells were front and center in both the world of research and the world of politics. As a therapy, embryonic stem cells were thought to hold great promise for Parkinson's disease because of their potential to become any cell in the body, including the dopamine cells that go missing in Parkinson's. But because those same cells were derived from human embryos, they were also subject to fierce ethical and political debate, particularly in the United States. New advances in stem cell technology now make it possible to create those cells in a way that bypasses that social debate, but scientific questions still remain. To get an update on the state of stem cell science, we turn now to Dr. Brian Fisk, Vice President for Research Programs at the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and Dr. Ule Lindvall, a leading stem cell scientist and the Chairman of the Division of Neurology at the University Hospital in Lund, Sweden. Dr. Fisk and Dr. Lindvall, thanks very much for being part of our discussion this morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's begin, uh, Brian Fisk, by talking about the question of these new kinds of stem cells which have been developed over the last half a dozen years, which basically uh, allow uh, a scientist to take a skin cell from someone and by a process of sort of reverse engineering, turn it back into a stem cell that could become any cell in the body. Do we know yet whether those cells are as good as the embryonic cells?
1: You know, I think that's a really good question. Uh, You know, I think we're learning a lot about these cells, and the cells I think you're referring to are induced pluripotent stem cells is sort of the scientific word for them. And as you said, basically you take a skin skin cell, you kind of reverse engineer it and make it sort of look for all practical purposes, like an, uh, an embryonic stem cell, so these cells seem to have the ability to produce all the different types of cells that embryonic stem cells can produce. And so, uh, you know, scientists have been, you know, playing around with these cells for a number of years now, and I think for the most part, um, you know, are, are seeing that these uh, cells can can act in. Uh, pretty much similar ways as embryonic stem cells. I think the unknowns, though, are really probably, you know, in sort of the more long-term, uh, you know, sort of aspects of these cells. Do they sort of grow and develop? And, and would if you were to sort of stick them into a, a person down the road, you know, would they sort of stay the type of cell that they should be over time? And, you know, I think that some of those questions maybe are still unanswered. But, you know, for all practical purposes, people are looking at these, I think, as pretty close to uh, embryonic stem
0: cells. And Dr. Lindvall, are you working with both kinds of cells? Do you have a sense yet through your work, and you've been in this research field for so many years now, as to whether or not one holds greater promise for transplantations into humans?
2: Well, I think that both human embryonic stem cells as well as the new cells uh, hold great promise for the future. One should be a little bit cautious, though, because I think that the new cells, those that have been generated from skin cells, either directly uh, from skin cells or through these pluripotent stem cells, that these cells after transplantation in animal models have not shown any great capacity actually to form connections, to form axonal um, outgrowth and provide a new innovation of the denovated area of the brain. Uh, why that is so we don't really know yet and i think that is something which will be very important to know and before we can scale these cells up to a uh, to humans <laughs>
0: And Brian Fisk, for someone who is still trying to get their arms around this idea, give us a kind of short course in what's involved and the complexities of it. Essentially, in Parkinson's, you're missing the capacity to continue to be able to develop your own dopamine cells. This is the idea of of putting in new ones that would provide that same service, so to speak. Why is that so hard? I remember Bill Langston, the scientist here in California, once saying it's sort of like trying to rewire your house after your house has already been built. I don't know if that's uh, the best analogy or not, but it gives you some sense of the complexity of the challenge.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a good analogy. I mean, you know, you're talking about a you know population of cells, you know, sort of deep in the brain that is connected to many other brain cells and, and, and you know, these cells have a very particular function. You know, they sort of turn on and fire when needed and, and sort of help the body control, you know, a lot of different, you know, functions, including movement. So when you lose those cells, uh, you know, the whole circuit sort of goes off kilter. And so to try to, you know, take cells that you've essentially grown outside the body, plant them in the right spot and then coax them to actually make the right kinds of connections that they need to make to essentially restore that circuitry, you know, that's a pretty complex thing and it involves not just making cells that can sort of spit out a little bit of dopamine, you know, but cells that can actually respond to the environment around them and, you know, sort of uh, spit out dopamine on the right other types of cells. And so, you know, so it's a really complex, um, you know, uh, sort of an environment that you're sticking these cells into.
0: Are we closer now, Dr. Linval, to being able to do that within the human population?
2: I think that uh, one should remember that uh, several of those uh, issues that you brought up, that was something which we considered a lot when we started to work with fetal human fetal tissue containing dopaminergic uh, neurons 25 years ago. Is it possible to get dopaminergic neurons to survive in the human brain, and can they grow? Can they form connections? Can they become integrated? Can they be built into the human brain? And much of the evidence that we have from these trials with fetal tissue shows that is possible. So we're not starting from scratch with stem cells and stem cell-derived dopaminergic neurons. And I think that is very important to remember at this stage, that it is complicated, and I fully agree with uh, with Dr. Langston that it is a very difficult task, but we have proof of principle that it can work.
0: And when do you think it might work? If you're a patient listening to this discussion and, and you might be saying to yourself, gosh, I've been hearing about the possibility for stem cells solving Parkinson's for so long now. Tell me when it might be possible. What would you say?
2: Of course, it's always very difficult to predict these, these things. I would say that within four or five years, I think we will have ongoing clinical trials where stem cell-derived dopaminodic neurons are implanted into patients. That doesn't mean that we have a, a treatment for Parkinson's disease yet, but I think that we will have the first stem cell-derived clinical trials. Having said that, I think it is very important that just to put dopaminergic neurons into a part of the brain in Parkinson's disease will never be a cure for Parkinson's disease because Parkinson's disease affect also other systems in the brain and have symptoms uh, besides the motor symptoms. And those symptoms will not be improved by these you know, terminology crops.
0: It's a really important point. And Brian Fist, maybe you could just take that a step further because our understanding of the disease itself has grown so much in, in recent years. We used to think that if we could just fix the dopamine supply problem, we'd fix the disease. Now, as Dr. Linvall suggests, we know that there are many other aspects of the disease that would not necessarily be fixed in that way. Does that diminish to you the, the possibility for stem cells, or does it simply mean we have to proceed down that path, but we also have to figure out other ways of solving this problem?
1: Right. No, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, you know, I I don't think it necessarily diminishes the idea that you could create, uh, you know, essentially replacement dopamine cells to put in someone's brain. And, you know, and if those work um, well, they could actually alleviate, you know, a lot of the sort of the motor problems, perhaps, the, you know, the more dopamine-specific problems that Parkinson's uh, patients have, you know, but these other symptoms, you know, are pretty problematic and, uh, you know, uh, whether or not a stem cell approach would, for example, reduce cognitive issues in, you know, in people with Parkinson's, you know, I think that's that's uncertain at this point. So you may still need other types of treatments to alleviate those um, those other symptoms. And I think DBS might be a good example of that. And deep like DBS, brain stimulation, yeah. Yeah, deep brain stimulation, even though that, you know, does really well in helping with a lot of the motor symptoms, you know, in sort of more advanced Parkinson's patients. Um, you know, there's still a lot of other... Um, to quote-unquote non-motor symptoms that aren't you know, well treated by DPS.
0: We, we need yeah. many paths up the mountain uh, to exactly, check out where exactly. we want to go. Yeah. Let me ask you about one other aspect of, of stem cell potential, uh, Brian Fisk, and that is this idea that they could be a kind of special delivery service, that you could take stem cells, load them up with other therapeutic agents like growth factors, which are hopefully something that might stimulate uh, and, and support dopamine brain cell activity in the brain. You use the stem cells not so much to replace, but as, um, as I say, a kind of delivery service. Is that something that you think has, has additional potential? Yeah, you know, there's, I think,
1: definite possibilities there. And, you know, Michael J. Fox Foundation has, has funded some work in this area over the years, including actually work with Dr. Lindvall as well, where, you know, with this idea that could you sort of, uh, you know, use stem cells or other types of cells as, like you said, delivery, uh, you know, delivery men for uh, delivering growth factors or other sort of protective factors into the part of the brain um, that is injured in, in Parkinson's. And so, again, there you're not replacing those lost cells. What you're doing is, you know, very much like, you know, uh, other growth factor approaches you may have heard of like GDNF and Nurturin uh, which have had you know some press lately you know could you deliver those growth factors with a cell rather than through gene delivery or through other you know directly infusing the, the growth factor into the brain and so, you know, so I think it's just another approach for delivering protective molecules.
0: And one other aspect of, of stem cells I wanna to touch on, which in some ways has it's less um, less sexy, I suppose you could say, but but also would seem to have great potential, Ulla Linval, and that is That with these um, new capacity to take a stem cell or to take a skin cell from someone with Parkinson's disease and then reprogram it back to its earliest stem cell-like capacity, you can put that disease in a Petri dish and and watch the disease develop in a sense. You can study it in a way that we've never been able to before, the so-called disease-in-a-dish idea. How useful can that be from a research standpoint? What will that give us that we've not been able to really do in the same way before?
2: I think this uh, holds great promise, actually, to have models of Parkinson's disease in a dish. And uh, I think that there are several examples now where you have created cellular models of some of the familiar forms of Parkinson's disease. Um, in my view, this can be. Uh, extremely useful in the future to look at the, what are the mechanisms underlying the uh, death of the dopaminergic neurons, look at the different uh, uh, signaling pathways in the cells. It can also be used for testing drugs in order to uh, uh, block the uh, degeneration, the death of the dopaminergic cells.
0: And Dr. Fisk, can you give us an example of how that is happening right now? Because obviously you can't get into someone's brain who has Parkinson's disease. This is the closest thing to it. You can actually observe how the disease develops. How is that being used right now to potentially be able to identify new therapies?
1: Yeah, so I think in a number of ways. I mean, I think you know one of the, the most important things you can use these cells for, and Dr. Lenvald was sort of alluding to this, is that These are essentially many diseases in a dish that you can explore, um, different pathways that might uh, be altered in someone with Parkinson's in their cells that could actually lead to, to their cells dying off. So I think it's really informing the field both where they should be peering uh, into as far as uh, cellular mechanisms that uh, drugs could potentially target. And and certainly, I think just as a final point on that, I think industry clearly, clearly wants cell models like this. I think for them, it's they really see this as a potential uh, a promise for being able to develop drugs.
0: Let me ask you uh, both one last thing, and then we'll conclude our, our conversation. It sounds like there is still, in both your judgments, a great deal of promise with stem cells. But it's also somewhat concerning that promise could be marketed in a way that could take advantage of, of patients who are so uh, eager, sometimes desperate to see progress in the way their disease could be treated. You read about these stem cell therapies that are now being offered in different places. I read about one last night that says, uh, I'll just quote from their advertisement, uh, Parkinson's stem cell treatments have been shown uh, to make a marked improvement in uh, functioning in patients These procedures have proved to help patients restore functioning. Let us help rebuild you with the latest stem cell treatment option. Dr. Linval, those sorts of promises, we're just not there yet, are we?
2: No, definitely not. And I think this uh, so-called stem cell tourism is a major problem over the world. And I I think one has to very strongly underscore that there is no stem cell therapy for Parkinson's disease at the moment. And... Just by doing highly qualified research, we will have perhaps the possibility to develop this in the future. I hope that that will occur within the next couple of years. I tell all my patients, that, uh, and there are many that are contacting me from all over the world, that at the moment there is no stem cell therapy for Parkinson's disease, and those that claim that they have a therapy for Parkinson's disease with stem cells, that's not correct.
0: And lastly, then, with that very appropriate um, and necessary uh, caveat in mind, what gives you the most hope, Dr. Lindvall, for how these therapies might develop in the future?
2: Well, of course, the dream scenario is that the first that these cellular models will give us a better idea of what is causing the Pocasus disease, the death of the dopaminergic neurons. That's, of course, one aspect. The other is that. We will, within the next couple of years, be able to use cells generated from stem cells, depominoidic neurons, for implantation in Parkinson's patients, and that that will give a therapeutically valuable and clinically competitive treatment of the motor symptoms. I know that some of the patients that got fetal grafts just uh, with efficient dopaminergic cell replacement, that even if they also developed other symptoms, the effect of the dopaminergic treatment was sufficient to give a major increase of their quality of life. And, and these patients have also said that even if they have other symptoms, which are not treated by the growths, the effect of the growth was so prominent, and they are now uh, uh, more than 15 years after the transplantation, that the advantages clearly outweigh the disadvantages hmm. and the problems.
0: And again, a reference to those earlier fetal cell uh, transplantations uh, going back many decades, uh, still showing some promise. Last thought from you, Brian Fisk, about, about your, the way in which you view this field and its promise for the future.
1: Yeah, I know. I think it's you know sort of been interesting for the foundation. We you know when we sort of started in late 2000, it really was, you know, sort of still the era of the stem cells and you know the the original fetal tissue transplant trials were sort of, you know, finishing up and you know I think there was this really sort of energy and excitement that this was going to happen, you know, tomorrow. You know I think we you know had a bit of a reality check and realized that there were still a lot of sort of unanswered questions and challenges we needed to address and so you know from our side from the foundation side we you know we were pursuing multiple paths, and so stem cells we see really as just sort of one one avenue to to the cure you know among many you know I think it is still a viable approach you know this idea of can we at least replace at least one cell population in the brain? that is lost in parkinson's eventually and if as long as we can come up with a safe and a uh, viable approach to doing that with stem cells i think you know there is still potential value there so so i do see some promise there I just you know uh, at least from our side we're not going to wait for stem cells to be the only cure for Parkinson's. We're going to continue to push on other areas as well. Um, but you know, we'll continue to um, you know monitor this field and 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 jump in when needed.
0: Well, thank you both very much for your updates on the current state of, of stem cell science. Uh, Dr. Brian Fist, Dr. Ulla Lindvall. Thanks both very much. Thank you. Thank you. This is Dave Iverson. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.